just the general tone of this conversation. I need to listen to more episodes. I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention. So you guys are doing a service with this type of podcast. Scott, how's it going today? I'm doing well. Hey, listen, any podcast that starts with Conrad saying, I'm just going to hit the button. Let's go. It's going to be good. <laughs> yes, we, Conrad and I were talking before Adam jumped on. Christmas is here. I asked Conrad if he was ready. And he said, does it matter? And it doesn't. It's time. It's time. To, you know, for us, it's a lot of family coming in town, which I enjoy. My wife's sister's coming in, Lauren, from, and she's out at Ohio State Medical School. So I always enjoy getting time with her. And it's just, for me, it's been unpacking 2023 and looking into 2024, I'm excited about everything we've got going. We're officially all the way partners now, Conrad, more than just the podcast. So we're excited about what we're going to be working on with you guys. Yeah, it's just, it's good. It's it's a quiet week, but a good week for us. Yeah. Always good to have a doctor in the family. We got one through marriage recently. My uncle is in his 50s. I'd never been married previously and then got married to this woman who's not actually a doctor technically, she, but she has a PhD in nursing. So she pretty much can answer any question we have. And um, so lovely to have a doctor on demand. Her name is Anna. I'm sure she loves the random text message that she, that she gets about weird ailments that we have accompanied by a picture. Hey, the kids are struggling with this. What do you think? We couldn't get to the doctor today. No, I'm sure she doesn't like that at all, but she indulges with our thing. So always good to have the doctor or doctor or soon to be situation, try to treat them well. And then it's the VIP tech support when you have some random medical issue that you don't want to go to the doctor or can't go to the doctor about. That was the piece that I pulled out of that. But yeah, Christmas is here. Adam, what are you doing for Christmas? What is Christmas? like in the Outer Banks. I've never been. Is it, do you wear the Santa suit and go out wetsuit and surf or is that not possible? Oh, that's a great question. I, I do not wear a, a Santa wetsuit. That's for sure. But I did check the weather yesterday and it does look like, now we're a week in advance, right? So it's hard to predict waves and see what's happening, but it does look like uh, Monday, Christmas day could be a good surf day. So we are anticipating putting on some wetsuits and getting out in the water. That's definitely worthwhile. Uh, I think last year we might have done a polar plunge on New Year's Day. So we'll have to see if the weather lines up for that. Um, but I, I think, unfortunately, no no sports right now, right? We're in the off season. But before we hit record, we were chatting a little bit about sports and the value of experience. And that's where we are in the off season right now from a sports perspective. Uh, we are trying to refine what we're doing. We're, we're in the process of, of some off season practices. The boys are going to the fields on their own. Finn's in the backyard practicing lacrosse and soccer. We're trying to refine how we're thinking about things. One, from a practice perspective, find the right information and then figure out what are the right drills or the practices that we want to do. So there is a refinement during this time where we're trying to figure out what is the right information that we want to go towards. And then in January, we'll start indoor season. So we're prepping and trying to think about what the team will look like, looking for sponsors to put on our shirts, that type of thing. But I think that correlates really well with, with where we're going to go with today's discussion and today's discussion is really the, the year-end wrap-up. So end of 23, but more importantly, what we're excited about as we go into 24. And I look at the, the business perspective in a similar way that I look at the coaching and improving on the sports side of things. This is where Scott and I are refining what we're doing, right? For the last year plus, we've been putting things up on the board saying, we're going after this, we're going after this, here's the right partner. And now we're coming to the end of this preparation stage and we're starting to execute and we're seeing some of this execution and we can touch on that and Scott already hit one with the partnership with Conrad, and I'm sure we'll get into some of those pieces. But this planning phase at the end of the year, I think, is really important. One, from a mental perspective, I think we all need to take some time and rest. And I was just chatting with my son yesterday about this, right? It, it's good to practice. It's good to think about these things. You got to go out and do that. But you also have to give your, your body and your, and your mind some time to take it easy, relax, and, and rest through that process. So I, I do really enjoy this end of the year process. 
it allows us to slow down and think a little bit deeper about who we're partnering with and about the, the plans that we're putting into place for 24. When Scott and I hit the beginning of January, our goal is to be sprinting. Where our foot is on the gas and we're moving as quickly as we can. So that preparation right now becomes exceptionally important. And then as we get into 24, we've got all the right partners. We've got all the right plans in place. And now all we're doing is, is really executing. So I think one of the important parts as we get into this year, as I start to think through things, is choosing those right partners, is realizing what the incentives are behind the people that you're working with. And especially as this industry adjusts, whether it's businesses having a hard time on the revenue side, or we're going to see a lot of M&A and acquisitions, you've really got to make sure you're choosing your partners wisely. And that's what we've tried to do for last year. So this last couple of weeks is really just fine tuning what we're planning. So by the time January 1st hits, we're off to the races. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot there to pick apart. And obviously, we'll go through some. I was thinking of calling this like an award show, if you're okay with that, Adam. We'll do best episode, best guest and stuff like that. But I'm with you. I, I haven't always been good at that in the past. This year, I did set a goal for myself in my own business, uh, revenue goal. I actually set a revenue and a margin goal because I've actually been involved with businesses before where they set a revenue goal, but then they didn't set uh, sort of like guidelines on profitability or guidelines on margins on that goal. And they ended up I guess, perverting, for lack of a better word, what they were doing to reach their goal. So I feel like you always have to have that. And at least the, that's what's worked well for me in the past of business is having some kind of target or goal. Okay, we want to achieve X, but we have to do so under these parameters or under these guidelines. We can't achieve X at all costs and then end up damaging something else down the road, you know, the, in the other side of the business. The, the right well, hand can't damage the left hand. I think hand, we, so we see this all the time in our industry, right? People are talking about yeah. revenue. What's profit, right? The mar Those margins mm -hmm. are exceptionally important. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. But it's not often talked about because it's like everyone loves to say a big top line number, right? Like it, it feels like there's people out there who would rather say they had a business that does $10 million a year in revenue and no profit than a business that does $5 million a year in revenue and a million dollars in profit. Like it actually seems like there's people who prefer one to the other, which in my mind <laughs> makes no sense at all. There's certainly a time and place I get that for reinvesting back into the business. And there's things that you're doing that are unprofitable that you know are unprofitable, but it's building towards a better future or you're having to build infrastructure or build a team well, or things like let's that. Let's pause there for a quick second, Conrad, because yeah. I do think there's an important element to what we just started to cover here. And I think to Scott's point, just hitting the button and rolling is exciting because I, I think you can cover some of these pieces. So to your point of some people wanting to talk about that big revenue number, I think that's been the industry for the last 15 years. And the reason behind that is they were going for funding. So if you're looking for someone to invest money with you, you want to tell them how big you are, how great you are, where you're going. You're not always talking about the profits. In fact, a lot of companies in this industry that took funding we're not able to show profits, but they showed what that top line number is. So I think for a long time, we were chasing that revenue number. And I'd argue that we're probably past this point, but 24 is definitely the time where you need to start focusing on what your profits are, not your overall revenue. Mm. Well, and, and the logic there would be, show me the success that the companies have had that got a lot of funding. And if you look back on it, it's not just Vacasa. Vacasa is the easy punch bag that we'll often take a shot at here and there just for fun as we make some drive-by comment about them and how poorly they've done in like the public markets. But a lot of companies have taken funding and a lot of them have done poorly. Like It's not like they're the only ones that deserve criticism. It's just one of the more visible ones because they're public and you can see all the financials and things like that. But I, mean, I think I a might, lot of these- I might argue, and there was yeah. a stat about this. I don't have it. I'll try to find it. I might argue that the vast majority did not come out positive with the funding. And, and VCs know that. VCs don't go into it expecting that every time they put money into a company, they're going to get money out of it. They're looking for the unicorn. So as an industry, we need to recognize that these companies are being built on our back. Raising prices, whatever it is that they're doing, they're coming off after us as managers and they expect the pool of managers to grow. That's why all of these companies are 
so infatuated with the idea that there's all of this opportunity for growth on the property manager side because they feel like if we keep telling everybody that the industry can keep growing, then our revenue can keep growing and the funding pool will continue to grow. But I don't think that's reality. I think we're coming back to reality right now where all of those companies that were chasing that money now have to recognize what the tough position is that if the market does not grow the way that they've been telling everybody that it's going to grow for the last few years, then what do they do? What happens when that money runs out? And I think that's the time that we're hitting. Mm -hmm. Scott, what's your take on this from an operational perspective or just like your view in general of a lot of these companies that have taken all this funding? I feel like you often have a more truth telling angle to all of this as well. Yeah, I'm not far from this, the core conversation, right? Of this, how many units do you have? How much revenue do you have? And that being the benchmark and knowing, and I think we even started this podcast or or near started this podcast on this conversation of how many of your properties are actually costing you money. Mm. And, and, and I think, and again, and it's just, it's the momentum. It's how fast can you grow? How big can you get? And, and people get swept into that, right? We were talking off camera about a couple of people and the fact that they've got this big voice, but you look at it and go, actually, they're only about this big. So they haven't really done anything. They're super small. And, and I think it's, I think it's this time. I, th I think the time is here and listen, we're doing it. We did it on our side, right? We were pushing, growing, building, growing, building. And then we were a few months in and looked and said, well, hang on a second. We were, we're seeing a dip in the margin. Something's not right in the margin. And right to your point, Conrad, we weren't watching margin close enough and we started giving up margin and we had to go, okay, hang on a second. Like, let's, let's put some things in order. Now, from our perspective, it wasn't all internal, right? We have some external factors. And I think that's the moment that we're in is the external factors, right? For us, one of the big ones was the insurance. And we covered this uh, on an episode of the property insurance, right? That has had a tremendous impact on some of our owners. And the TAN model is different, right? Where we're paying some of those flat fees for the owners. But even if you look over on the traditional VRM side, owners are getting pressed, right, on these property fees. If you look at it and go, it's not just always inside of your operation. What are the surrounding factors? And where are your owners, right, in their own financial stability, right? Conrad, you started with revenue is important, but so is margin. And then you've got the owners that are also looking at it the exact same way of, hey, I need a certain amount to hit this bank, period. So I think it's just this kind of snowball, right? Of everyone having to refocus on what's important. And to your point, Conrad, I'd rather be a $5 million company making a million dollars than a $10 million company making 200,000. I'll take it all mm -hmm. day, every day. Yeah. I guess the, the word that I've always come back to when I read things or when I look at certain stories of people that talk about the that angle is it's just arrogance. Like the I think the most primary example that I've seen over the past few years has been this idea that they took COVID revenue, this huge coach bump revenue where inventory was at an all-time low in many cases and their demand was at an all-time high. They take that in a spreadsheet copy and paste it and then say, not only is this going to happen in 2024, it's going to happen in 2025. And then actually what's really going to happen, by the way, is we're going to apply a two and a half, three and a half, four percent uh, bump every year. The rates are going to go up and up 4% every year because remember, look at this property in 2010. It was only doing 25,000 a year. Now the same property is doing 50,000 a year. So look at that growth. I'm actually being conservative when I say that it's only going to grow four and a half percent for the next 20, 10 or 20 years. And I'm buying it at this price. So if I buy it at this price and it grows this much and they do what my dad calls napkin math, you sit there with a napkin and you write a few numbers down. And then at the end, somehow you're a 
billionaire. And it's like, is that really how it's going to go? Or are you going to have what, what obviously is happening now? Rates might come back a little bit. Occupancy might come back. Rates and occupancy might come back a little bit, right? You could face two different tailwinds going in your face. To your example there perfectly, Scott, could your insurance rates triple? You certainly hope they don't, but the number you put in your spreadsheet of $5,000 a year for insurance, that number could be $20,000 one day, or it could be $50,000 maybe because they just want you to basically dump the property and get rid of it. They just refuse to insure it. So I guess that's the word that I come to is arrogance. And I think sometimes the people, it, I we always assume that word, I think with the person, oh, that person is arrogant. And we all know an arrogant person. There's arrogant people in our industry. And some of them have some validity to back up their arrogance. I think in some cases they've done good things or they built a big business and that's great. But I think that arrogance can also come in like more black and white analytical forms of like just assuming that things are always going to say the same or they're going to get better. And that's, Adam, that's just not always the case, right? Sometimes things don't go the right way. No, and I don't, I don't think arrogance ever comes off. I love confidence. I think there's a strong place for confidence and, and typically confidence comes from experience. And the reason that someone's confident is because they feel like they can accomplish what they've already accomplished. And I think there's a lot of value in that. But I think the arrogance and, and Conrad, I Sounds like you sat in some private equity meetings when they were going through some funding, because I've gotten calls from uh, private equity boards over the last few months asking if they can pick my brain and have some thoughts about where the industry is going and what's going on. And I can tell you, and we've seen this play out, these private equity companies do not know the industry. They might have a lot of money behind them, but that discussion that you just played out with the numbers, I don't think is far from the reality of the last 15 years. I think that type of discussion played out time and time again. And the people on the other side who don't know the industry well enough, bought those numbers and bought into it. And I think now we're in a, a very difficult position because those people who had that money and put that money in, they're looking for a return. And at this point, they're wondering if they're even going to get that return. Now, what, what I'm hearing from a lot of people is 24 could be a lot of M&A, so mergers and acquisitions. And I, I don't disagree with that because I think that as things start to slip, as this industry becomes harder, you're going to have more and more people that are ready to exit. I think they're going to be disappointed that they exited at the wrong time, probably should have done it five years ago. But I, I do think that's going to happen. But I don't think it's going to play out in the way that everyone thinks. So when everyone hears large M&A, you think, oh, wow, a lot of success. People are going to start selling and they're going to be making that revenue return that they were looking for. I don't think that's the case. I think you're seeing these companies sell and we're seeing some big companies that are coming on the market that want to start selling. I think that's just the front edge of this and they're doing it out of necessity. They're not selling at the top of the market. They're selling at a market that's ready to start declining. And that to me spells potentially of arrogance to your point, Conrad, back in the day when they were crunching those numbers, they were arrogant when they created the numbers and they were arrogant that they probably could have exited a number of times before this. And they haven't. They're at a place now where they've got to make some decisions about how they go forward. And the question becomes, do I seek additional funding or do I get out of this? And I think the easiest answer is get out of it. But the challenge is the numbers aren't going to work in their favor because of that arrogant projections that they had prior to this. So the next question becomes, who's coming behind this if I do need more funding? And I think that's the bigger issue for this industry is more of the question of who's coming behind with that bag of money that everybody's looking for. I think that's the side that's in trouble right now. And that's going to be on both sides. It's going to be on the vendor side as well on the property management side, because I think a lot of people have done some poor planning over the last couple of years around financials, and they're going to have to figure out how do I stretch this as long as I can. And I think we're going to see some people that fall out of the bottom. And I think that's the hard part about this industry, why people don't want to have some of these discussions is they don't want to sit across from somebody at the table and, and have that person be the one that's going out of business or that person be the one that's having the hard time. But that's just the reality of, of what we're going through. I think we're going to see some people that start to fall out of the bottom pretty quick. I will say this, we've, we've done some 
grading in the past where we look at leads that we didn't close and then we go check on them later. And it's pretty rare that I'll be honest that I truly see a property management company go out of business. Like I, I will see maybe it's a failed or successful acquisition, but I'll see it frequently where I go to an old domain or something that a lead we were working was at that company and then they redirect to another domain and I go, oh, they must've got bought out. Obviously relatively common that they got bought out by Vacasa. Certainly in 21 and 22, that was happening to us all the time. I feel like it was once a month we were getting email from a client. Hey, we sold. You need to cancel our contract. I, I think I've joked on calls before, maybe when we weren't recording the Vacasa has taken so much money out of my pocket. That's my reason for being salty at them, regardless of the, the properties themselves, because they bought out so many clients. And of course, those contracts didn't get uh, taken in by Vacasa. But no, I, I think that I think that you're right, Adam. It's if you're it's when are you willing to admit that it's not working well enough? Like if you're a small business, that may be a little bit more challenging. Scott will go your way because we just made a loss. Adam on a connection hit there. That's the tricky part. I don't know how long people are willing to hold on if things aren't going well. Did they? Do, do you feel like people will be honest with themselves next year if things are still not going in the right direction? Or do you think they just, oh no, it'll come back? Do you think there's more of that naive optimism? Excuse me. Yeah, I think it's hard, right? Because I think there's a lot of Kool-Aid being served, right? So I, I think it all depends on which conversation you're listening to. There's times my concern is we've got a lot of voices falsely reassuring people of, oh, hey, it's going to be okay. Just put your head down. In, in my own seat, Conrad, I, I went went through and read a book this year, Necessary Endings. And it actually addresses what we're talking about pretty well here, right? Where we're having to look at something. And listen, let's be honest, regardless of arrogance, right? Person arrogance, numbers arrogance. What we all know is it was still hard work. Right. It was still no no shit to build whatever they built, whatever it was. Right. It wasn't easy. But I think that the moment really sits in the knowing when to say when. Right. When do you just go, hey, that that's it. Right. And, and that's it doesn't mean, you know, to your point, it doesn't mean you're quit and you just walk away and leave all your money behind. But then I think it goes into where Adam was saying of it's that distressed M&A. Right. I, I, I think it's going to be heavy M&A. But I think it's going to be all distress stuff. And distress carries a bunch of different meaning, right? I mean, you can still have a successful company that's distressed because back to your point, Conrad, it's distressed based on what the original assumption was, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be this huge financial turmoil. But I think if it if you really look at it, and, and we've said this a couple of times, I think the executors are going to win. And I think we're going to see the dreamers, right, or the talkers, I think they're going to be the first ones to fall out, right? If, if you look and just from our general awareness in the industry, right, and I've got some people awareness, my view is the people that are saying, look at me, the loudest are probably the ones that are in the most trouble and are trying to attract whatever they can to to boost themselves. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a conundrum. It, it's going to be interesting to see where it falls. Yeah. Yeah, Adam, what's your projections then? So for 24, will 24 be a better year for the industry or a worse year for the industry? Or will it just be different? Because there, what's your frame on how things are going to proceed from here? Yeah, I think different is a good way from my perspective. Positive, negative is, is hard to figure out because positive and negative can mean a little bit different to everybody. I think that to Scott's point, the executors win. I, I think that 24 is a change of the landscape. And, and I said this after Darm, it was good to hear the statisticians sit up there and, and talk about what that data is and be a little bit more realistic. But I, I still don't feel like it was uh, strong enough. I still feel like it's when this happens, it's going to happen relatively quick. And I feel like it's coming pretty strong. And everybody's going to feel it at the beginning of the year, because the beginning of the year is when all the management companies expect that they're going to take their reservations. So they're going into the end of this year, understanding that, yes, this was a little bit hard. 23 was hard. 
but they're all hoping that January or February is a big couple months for them. When that doesn't happen, that's when the reality starts to really set in. I think we're going to see some challenges on the reservation side, like we've been seeing ADR, nights booked. I think that's going to be the same thing. On the vendor side, I think this is where we're going to start to see it a little bit more prevalent. To, to your point, Conrad, you don't see management companies go out of business. Now, I think for a long time, what you saw was acquisition. So they just disappear into an acquisition. I think that we may start seeing that again. We could start seeing companies that go out of business, but you might not see it, one, because it's not very public, but two, because the guy down the street can just assume all of his inventory and take his staff, and you really wouldn't know that they went out of business. On the vendor side, I think it, it becomes much more clear to us because those are the people, those are the companies that are in front of us all the time promoting themselves and helping us understand what the opportunities are on, on that vendor side of things. So when we start to see companies no longer promoting themselves or companies cutting staff, which we've already started to see this year, huge layoffs uh, in the tech space especially, I think we're going to see that across the tech space in the vacation rental industry. When that starts to happen, I think that's a snowball effect because all they're trying to do at that point is maintain that cash flow to make sure that they can keep their doors open. And then you start wondering, to your point earlier, Conrad, you got that sunk cost fallacy. It's I already put money into this. I got to keep going. And at some point, you got to decide, like, I, I shouldn't just keep going with this. And I think we see that more on the vendor side. But with all that said, I'm still not doom and gloom. I think this is a huge opportunity for the people who execute and have the right mentality and have been planning for this. This is why Scott and I, from the beginning of this podcast, have been trying to talk about how we're planning and positioning ourselves going into 23, going into 24, because I do think there's a huge opportunity. As the market shifts this drastically in this short of a time, there are going to be winners who realize, hey, I'm going to I'm going to zig when everybody else is zagging. And those are the guys who are going to find the right route. And I do think that there's going to be a lot of people who figure out how to do that. I'm, I'm hopeful that the three of us on, on this call are, are part of that group that has figured some of these pieces out. But I don't think that's going to be easy. With that said, I do think it's exciting. I think it's exciting to see these changes. And I think that there are huge opportunities that come when, and Alex Danner talked about this on his episode about chaos in, in 2008, smart people making bad decisions. And I think that's part of that arrogance discussion we were talking about earlier. I think that when you get some education behind you, when you get a little of experience, you, you start to think, oh, I've got this figured out until chaos happens. And then all of a sudden you start to see some smart people making bad decisions. I think we're, we're in the process of seeing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yep. so and it's interesting because there's a trap that's being said and, and I'm, my problem is I don't think they're wrong, but I, I think there's all of the data, all of the information from both key data and air DNA did give an out that I'm worried that too many people are going to take until it's too late. Right. And, and that out is essentially that you've got people that are going to plan in advance and they're going to lock in their vacation. The middle falls out, basically, and then everyone else is going to sit in last minute booking, right? So how many people are going to have to gut through a Q1 where they're used to having money flowing in, right? To Adam's point, those reservations. How many people are looking to say, I'm about to ride my cash up? And listen, we all know that most people, and especially in this environment, aren't going to follow trust accounting. So they're just going to take their cash when it comes in January, February, March. But I, my concern as an industry and for the people that aren't as dialed into their business is how many people are going to go, it's, it's fine. It's going to be okay. We're just going to limp through this because the last minute bookings, it's all going to be last minute bookings. And I think that's the one place where I'm like, it feels like we're giving some of these people like just the, this little inkling of an out to say, no, it's going to be fine. It's all going to work out. 
like you still have to know when it's not going to be okay. Right. And and when it's like, we listen, everyone booking their June vacation in May is not a good look. That is not how this is going to work. I forget which revenue manager said this to me, but this was a long time ago. I think when I was still at the previous agency I worked at, but he was like, we're selling milk. And I was like, what do you mean? He's selling milk, man. Like it's only good for a certain number of days. And then at some point it's spoiled and it's gone. And that was his logic in getting bookings early. Like he liked the idea that he was selling his milk as soon as it came out of the cow, so to speak, and getting bookings in January for June. He loved that. And even though kind of the modern analytics philosophy was maybe we should wait, maybe we should try this type of yield rating and stuff like that. He was in a Hilton head. He was like, no, I'm doing it this way because we're selling milk. You just always come back to that phrase. And I don't know what the optimal strategy is. I'm not a revenue manager. I don't pretend to be one on the internet, but I totally understand where he was coming from, right? Which is we lock him in, we get to your point too, Scott and Adam, you both said it. We get their money, we can hold their money. Hopefully they're doing it properly from an accounting perspective. Nowadays, you can earn 5% of their money. I feel like you could actually make a case where it's okay to accept a lower rate because you can then earn interest on the money that they gave you that you're holding. I'm sure Airbnb must make billions of dollars, millions of dollars on all the interest of funds they hold between check-in and departure is when they actually have to pay it out to the host. So yeah, I'm sure there's a lot there. I'm not, again, I'm not going to pretend to be a revenue manager expert, but that's my thought process, Scott, is you don't want to be the one holding a bunch of milk that's going to expire seven days from now, because then your only possible path is I've just got to drop the rates down to zero and I'd rather sell it for something than sell it for nothing. And I feel like that's the position you definitely don't want to be in. And honestly, it makes marketing on my side really challenging. If, if I constantly am getting these notices or alerts from clients on, hey, we're, oh my God, we're empty next week. I'm panicking. That's not really a way to build any sort of brand awareness or marketing awareness. That's just, gosh, let me hope some, no one has a plan next week and let me drop this email in front of them or drop an ad in front of them and hope they convert. I feel like that's actually really challenging a game to play on the marketing side as well, for sure. Yeah. And it's all sides, right? The worst thing, and, and I've got a friend that says this off, often, he says, I hate when everything's okay until it's not, right? Because you're just like popping around and it's, it's good. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Uh, never mind. It's not. And, and that my, that's my fear is it, my fear is that we're putting it we're, we keep building the cliff a little bit higher with this setup. Right. Of, oh, no, it's going to be last minute because you look and you and I are saying the same thing, Conrad. I'm worried about rates. Right. I'm worried about essentially we're in this market now, especially if it's truly going to be heavy last minute. Essentially, now the game is just who's going to panic first. And in this economic environment, essentially, that's what everyone's saying by it's all going to be last minute stuff because all they're doing is we're playing a waiting game who's going to wait who out who's going to be the first one to drop rates and essentially then be the winner and, and I, I just think there's a lot to it that is dangerous in this oh it's all going to be last minute this year or heavy last minute this year yeah yeah that's problematic in the interest of time maybe we turn the page a little bit recapping a bit of 23 some predictions or thought processes for 24 but let's look back a little bit to the show you guys joke before we hit record hey we've done this a year now which i think is about accurate because we've done i think 50 this will be 55 or 54 if i recall in the episode list and there was one a few weeks where we released two of course but we started recording in january we're here in december so let's go through it maybe scott i'll pick on you first what was the best episode that you liked or what was your kind of best episode from the show this year what was your favorite yeah, so so this one is going to be rough. I, I feel like Adam's going to cringe when I say it because it was a great episode, but it was rough for him, and that's Amy Highnote. So for me, Amy Highnote was a bright spot all the way around, right? From best guest to best episode. And, and really, my experience with Amy Highnote was different. And it was, I didn't, like, I, I'm new to this side of the industry. A lot of the names I, I didn't know. Clearly, I knew a little bit about Amy Highnote. But my initial interaction with her was at Keystone, and, and things got weird. And I was like in this moment of, I'm not sure who this is or what this looks like. And then Amy and I got to have some conversation together at Keystone and really talk about the fact that her and I have almost worked together now a few times. 
and then it just I really developed a solid relationship with Amy and just if you look at what she's done for the industry and again keep in mind I, I don't have any history I had to look at her as a whole new you know thing when I met her this year and really I'm a huge supporter and after leaving Darm and now watching how the conversations have shifted from the hey everything's great everything's great raw to now people are saying everything we heard at Darm and it's starting to build momentum so Amy, for me, was the winner all the way around. And that was the episode that Adam had audio trouble and had to go back and re-record the whole thing. But for me, it, it was a highlight. And, and I thought that's when we really started hitting our stride, because I feel like that really started to build on a lot of stuff we were working on. Yeah, so some panic attacks on your side, Adam. Also, producer Savannah is listening to this right now going, she has a little PTSD from that as well. For those listening who don't know, we had a bunch of audio issues and basically we can say it now, Adam, it's not like a, a secret. Adam was re-recording all the bits that you heard in that episode at a completely different time. So it wasn't actually when, like he had to repeat his conversation and repeat his side of the equation because we had an audio file that was corrupted and we just couldn't recreate the conversation. The you know, scheduling and things didn't work out. So sorry for the PTSD there. Adam and Savannah are producer slash editor who's listening, but that was a good one. What's your perspective, Adam? I doubt that was your favorite. So what was your favorite? It was one of my favorite conversations for sure. I always love talking with Amy and I, I got to give her credit on this one because she's the first one that, that I heard this from, but I've had it echoed by a few different people. I was listening to the host away predictions for 2024, their webinar with a number of good people from the industry. And they were talking about how AI is a very big threat to the OTAs. And Amy was the first one who spun me onto that. And we had a couple episodes on AI and, and why we also believe that AI is, is a big threat to the OTAs and, and why check booking is, is going to become more and more powerful and why Conrad and marketing are, are super important. So that one was definitely a highlight for me. Obviously the pain of, of re-recording. Gosh, I can't even imagine how many different clips I sent to poor Savannah to actually glue together to become an episode. So that was a tough one. But as I look back, I was looking through the list of episodes and it feels cliche to look back and go, wow, I can't believe in a year, all of these episodes have opened up conversations and doors for us. But the reality is it has. And in a couple of minutes, we'll talk about what we're excited about for 24. And as I look back, so many of those discussions and the people that we talked with are part of our 2024 planning. And not because we went into the episodes thinking, hey, you're going to be part of what we're doing, but more because we were excited about what they were doing and the discussion solidified, yes, we wanted to start working together. So I think overall, I'm just excited about what this has opened for us, us three together working together, the partners that we brought on, the great conversations that we had. I am blown away by how much I enjoyed doing this podcast. I did not expect to do that. And then the conversations that, that have come from and the progress is huge. I think I'm going to go with the one that Conrad mentioned is the one that's most downloaded. I did not know that prior to this, but I, I did enjoy it the most because I feel like it gives the best perspective of where I think the industry is going. The idea that property management is not going to be about property management solely. It's going to be about experiences. It's going to be about uh, generating different forms of, of revenue streams. We've got to think differently about the way we're approaching vacation rental management, about the way we're working with guests, about the way we're working with homeowners. So my highlight was with Alex Danner, again, one of those people who he didn't come from the podcast, but his discussions have evolved tremendously over this year. And I, I think that was the highlight for me. 
Okay. Yeah. We we'll put a, I'll put links in the show notes, by the way, to these different episodes. So you can go back and listen to your favorites if you want to do it. I was actually going to pick episode 20. So episode 20 was our, let me see if I get this right. Yeah. It was our introduction into unreasonable hospitality. We did it with Steve. So that was who we chatted with during that episode. But the topic of the episode was about unreasonable hospitality in the book. And I remember having read it, not cover to cover during the episode, I think I recall picking out, hey, chapter three, I like this, chapter seven, I like this, but I didn't read the whole thing. I read the whole thing after that episode. I finished it, I guess I should say, after that episode. And then, of course, we got to meet Will a few weeks back at Dharma. That was exciting. And it's interesting. I put that link in the show notes. At the time, it looks like it was ranked decently on Amazon. Now it's the number one hospitality ranked book on Amazon. So, you know, thank you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure it was successful with it, with or without us. But no, it, it was good to go back to that episode, think about it. And it started that path, even though it was episode 20, here we are on 55 or so, 56. It was good to th think it's been that long since we've been reading that book and thinking about it and talking about it. And then, of course, it all feel like it came to a little bit of a crescendo in Nashville with Will actually speaking in front of an audience of vacation rental managers and hosts and things like that. Yeah. All right. So maybe it's the same, but I'll, you'll have to go a different direction, Scott, then. So you can't do the same thing for best episode and best guest. So maybe if Amy was your favorite guest, who was your second favorite guest or who was another star guest that you enjoy talking to this year? Oh, man. Yeah. So this one is varies pretty wildly for me because I enjoyed much like Adam. I enjoyed how the story started building itself, right? And and we were getting passed from one the authors, right? All of a sudden, we became where we had people reaching out to us to say, "Hey, here's my book, check it out." But mine is mine comes back to Maddie Rifkin. It, it was in in Conrad. You and I were started to unwind the the episode, and Adam started asking more and more questions, and Maddie's answers were just were incredible. And she was someone that was. I could watch her building her momentum and you could see she was working on something special, but what she's done and, and how she's approached things. I, I, I think there's something really special about her and what she's built. And I enjoyed, I, there's part of it that was just her story, right? I love the story of, Hey, I was a kid and had a problem and I solved it. Right. And then she just, she takes off running through, through everything that she's built. So I really have it. I enjoyed that. And I've enjoyed watching her ever since that episode and, and, I'm just a, I'm a huge fan of her and, and it really became, it came from our time with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Adam, your direction on favorite guest, if it wasn't from your favorite episode, what was your, another guest that you really enjoy talking to? Yeah. So I'll, I, I like these questions. I think that the episode and the guest are, are two totally different things. So I can definitely pick a, a favorite guest out of this. I'll go opposite generational. Maddie, I think is the younger generation. And I love that. I love the beginner's mindset where it's a blank slate. I'll run through a wall to get things done. I think there's a lot to be said for that young mindset. And everything we talk about in this, I don't want to, us to seem like, oh, it's the old guard talking about the new guard. That's not about what we talk about on the podcast here. It's more about business models and mentality. So it doesn't matter old, young, whatever it is. But I'm going to go opposite generational. I'm going to go with Stowe. And the two episodes that we had with Stowe, I, I think were phenomenal because one, it surprised us. So to, to Scott's point, it was, it was a book that sort of came out of left field. They reached out and asked us. And as we were talking to him, we started to uncover how much experience he actually has within the hospitality space. PhD from Cornell in, in hotel hospitality, dean at UNLV hospitality, uh, created the loyalty program for Accor. I think he mentioned he was part of inventing the soft chicken taco for Taco Bell. And this man has got- That's some a highlight right there. That's a highlight. That's a <laughs> so this man's got some experience. So I think that I like both ends of that spectrum. I want to surround myself with both ends of that spectrum. I want people that are high achieving, that have the experience, but also have that beginner's mindset that are willing to push through those blocks. So for me, it was still, I, I think that being exposed to him and understanding the resources that that he can 
bring to us just based on the experience that he's had. And I also like that it comes primarily from the hotel side. I think that's a gap in this industry, not talking enough to the hoteliers that have this experience that have done this. And it's also funny in that episode that I realized that hotels are not that far ahead of us from a time perspective, right? He was talking about like it all starting in the 1950s. For In my mind, I guess it was older than that, but it shows us one, that we should be learning from hotels, but two, they don't have that much of a runway in front of us. We can do a lot of the things that we're planning. We just need to get the right framework and the right foundation behind us as an industry to start doing those. So Stowe's my highlight, and we'll talk about him again in, in a minute when we talk about the plans. Yeah. Yeah. It's so for me, I actually really liked because you guys picked some of the ones that maybe I would have picked. I like Jeff from Host GPO. I thought that he, sometimes you talk to someone and they go, Yeah, I saw an opportunity in the space. And they, that's me a little bit, right? I didn't have this like deep experience, but Jeff really did. I thought he really had a good background. He talks really quickly like I do. So I'd always feel like I can find kinship with people that talk too fast. I'm sure he's get criticized about that. Whereas I'm like, Oh, yeah, I lean in when I hear that. But I liked his episode. I thought it was good. He, he did a good job of talking about the problem that he's trying to solve without just being some folks have come on and talked about their solution a lot. And that really wasn't Jeff's angle at all. So I, I enjoyed that one. There's some other ones, obviously, that were excellent, but that one kind of stuck out to me, I think, as one of our better guests. If you were going to be, if you're listening and you want to be a guest next year, go listen to that episode to learn how to be a good guest, I think, <laughs> especially if you are promoting something, which we don't mind, but talk about the problem you're solving a little bit more. Talk about your view of the industry. Talk about that less about, hey, just sign up for my thing. We had a little bit of that this year, which is understandable, but yeah. yeah. All right. So let's flip the page a little bit. So this is, I, I do, in the outline, you had a little bit different, Scott. You said highlight personal and a highlight business. We do a little different on our weekly call. So I'll, I'll pitch this to you. You tell me if this is okay. We always do share a personal win and a professional win. So we go around the horn on Wednesdays afternoons and we say, all right, go ahead, Scott, share a personal win and professional win from the last week. So if you don't mind, I'll change the format on you a little bit. But Scott, what's a personal win and a professional win for you? Not this week, but I guess this year, although it could happen this week. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Listen, if I'm getting it done this week, I'm squeaking it in right before it's. Yeah. Though, right? yeah. So for me personally, it was just a lot of grounding work. So it wasn't all it wasn't all upside for me this year. Had some rough moments and, and really stared down the barrel of a cup of a couple really hard decisions and really hard moments, but found my way to just being grounded. And when it goes to we had Jamie and Steven on together, they're two guys that I've leaned on a lot. We pulled Adam into that circle. And so for me, it was it just being grounded, being grounded at home, being just a change there. And professionally, it was, and again, this one wasn't, didn't arise from a positive. This one was, we were watching a few issues in the business. We started to take a deeper dive. And then we had to stop for a minute and say, hang on a second, we, we've got some work to do here. And it was making that pivot. And it was the hard work in deciding to make the pivot. And now we're, we're a couple of months down the road from when I made a pretty hard pivot and we can already start to see the fruit. We can see it coming. So it was, I think both had a little bit of kind of place from some of the books I read, but necessary endings really struck a chord with me and it was at the exact right moment for me. But this pivot that we're in and TAN has been a very resilient company for a long time and TAN has always thrived in when the economy is rougher. So we've done a lot of work and and we know and we are very confident that things are really about to turn our way on the TAN business. So us making this pivot was we're here, we're ready. And, and Adam's going to talk a lot about, maybe not all in this episode, but we're in a good position to grow. And, and it wasn't this big highlight balloons and streamers. It was things aren't as good as they need to be. And, and let's pause here and take this pivot. Adam, personal one, professional one. 
Oh, that's a tough one. I'm always hesitant to pick out one sort of instance. And I, I uh, as I touched on uh, one of the episodes uh, recently, I, I think about things systems wide. So I, I think about consistency and, and systems. And as long as I'm progressing, as long as I'm evolving in whatever it is that I'm doing, I, I feel like I'm headed down that right path. And this year is definitely one of those. I feel like from both the professional and personal side of things, uh, I'm fine tuning the the systems and the processes that I've been trying to evolve for for a long time. I think on the on the personal side, the, the highlight I would choose, and it's the one I, I talk about all, all the time on on the, the podcast here, is is coaching. Um, I think that evolved tremendously for me this year because for the first two years of me doing it, I was trying to figure out if I could keep the team together. So it was more about is this team even worth putting the time into? Should we be taking Finn up to Virginia three times a week, which is going to add three hours of travel time uh, each time we go? It's It was an intense decision-making process for two years to try to figure that out. So to get to a place where I can really feel confident that, yes, I do want to be a coach. Yes, this is the team that we want to be involved with for the next five years. I think that's a, a professional or, excuse me, a personal win for me for the year. From a, a professional side of things, same concept, just putting the right consistency, the right tools, the right evolutions in place. However, as much as Scott, I do agree with him, it's not a big fanfare. I think that we're turning the corner into something that is pretty big from us, from a company perspective, potentially from the people that and, and companies we're going to partner with. I think there's a huge upside and it's been something that's been building really for years as we've thought about the industry and how do we pull this industry together but in the last year, we've put all those pieces together. So if we've got another couple of minutes at the end here, we'll talk about what we're thinking about for next year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think we do. I think we've got a few more minutes here to wrap things up. That's the first win. That's professional win. Maybe we can look ahead a little bit. What's the opportunity then going forward? So what's the opportunity well, I, of 24? I don't think we can turn that corner until we hear your no. professional win and personal win. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I didn't know. So personal win, I would say... I don't know if I've, like you, Adam, I'm struggling to find the one win that I had, but I'll, I talk about this as my hobby and some people may roll their eyes at this, but this was the the most that I'd played golf in some time. And that is the thing that I like to do. I love to play. I wasn't able to play this weekend and I'm a little cranky about it this week. I was sick and the others, the kids weren't feeling well. Obviously I wasn't going to head out and the weather was bad. And I don't know, I just think my time away where I put my phone away and I don't worry about things. And when I get those four hours alone by myself, I think I actually perform better the next week. So that was a personal win. There was a few rounds in there too that are like high points as far as the the play that I had with my dad or whatever the case we, we had there on the course. So that was more of a personal win. On the professional win, I mentioned that I set a revenue goal and a margin goal this year. And barring a disaster in the next 10 days or whatever the case may be, I should hit both of those pretty handily. I've already hit the revenue goal. The margin goal should be the case. Even if I get a big bill at this point, forget it. I'm paying it January 1 and we can start that margin goal again next year. So it wasn't by much, but I hit both the revenue goal and the margin goal that I set for my own business this year. And I also, that's one side of the win. The backside of that win is I think I hired better quality team members and I was able to level up the talent that I'm bringing onto my team. And that's what I'm excited to hopefully, maybe that's how I lead us into next year. What I'm hoping to do is focus on that more in 24. How do I keep bringing great team members into the team? Because in our business, that's what is the make or break. Just like the property is the make or break in many cases on the property management side of things. For us, it's our team member and their intellect and how they handle problems. I think having those great team members is so valuable and it's easy to take the less expensive route sometimes or, oh, I'll go this way. I'll go with a cheaper contractor. But the best team members that we have are people that have come on, committed fully to, to build up and they've been able to grow in that way professionally. So I, that gives me a lot of joy as well. I think we need to pause for a quick kudos to you for hitting those goals though, too, because that's no small task, right? For a small company, an entrepreneur who's been trudging for years to get to where they're going to, to set those goals and hit those goals is huge. And then the other side of that, I think on the team side of it, I would also give you kudos there. And I, I would suggest that 
Uh, winning is a habit, right? You start to get those team members who get that sense of winning and they attract team members who will also be winners too. So it seems like you're headed in the right direction. We're definitely uh, excited to to be partnered with you heading into the new year. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Awesome. I appreciate that. That's good to hear. Yeah. I feel like sometimes there's always examples that I can point to of that was bad. That was dumb. Oh, I did that wrong. I could have responded a little bit quicker there. I feel that way at times. And so it's good to, like you were, like we were saying at the very beginning of the episode, it's always good to pull back a little bit and say, okay, yes. And that one's perfect. I made all these human type mistakes this year, but man, we stacked up a lot of wins along the way too. Our record is very much in the, on the right side of where we should be. And I think if we keep doing that, we can keep going in the right directions. All right, let's turn the page then to 24. What What's your, what's a first personal professional win? maybe that you want in 24. Maybe we'll phrase it that way. I've never done this before. So we're trying it out here. Adam, I'll pick on you first. All right. Well, I'm, so mine's going to be a little bit deeper. So I'm actually going to pass mine to Scott because I'm going to talk with Scott on the, for Scott on the professional side. So Scott, what, what's the personal and professional win you're looking for in 24? Oh man, shit. That's hard. Yeah. So, so, so for, for me personally, it's, uh, it's finding more harmony and, and finding, finding some more balance. I think I took some big steps forward. I've been surrounded by some great people that have that have helped. And, and one of the things, and, and you guys have have poked around this, which has been interesting. And Conrad, you're golf, I'm biking. And traditionally for me, winter time just sucks, right? My mood drops. Um, I cannot ride on an indoor trainer. It, I don't know how people do it. Like pedaling your ass off to go nowhere. That's like screen golf. That's not, it's not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So, so I go through these funks of, oh, it's winter. And I go into this dormant state and, and I had a very good friend and someone that's been helping me with a lot of things, talk to me about the seasons, right? And the fact that in the winter, all of the work being done with trees, all the, it's all root work, right? It's the, the roots really digging in and, and preparing and getting stronger. And that's where I've really brought my attention personally is just continuing my work and just really finding harmony, which is, listen, as an entrepreneur, we can all know harmony is tough, but it's something that I'm focused on and want to conquer. And then on the business side, I'll be the the easier tone for Adam. Adam's going to get into real specifics, but for me, it's about the fruit, right? We, we made a hard pivot here. We had some bumps. I've had hard moments in 2023. We outsourced the counting earlier, I guess it was last year, and hit some bumps with them in 2023. And I've been living a little bit of an accounting nightmare, but we're, we've made some changes and we can now, right, the fruit is starting to to bear, right? And we're starting to see, okay, here we go. Now we're rolling. And I think it's really teed things up for everything that, that Adam's been working on. I Adam and I have inherently come together very well. And I've been working on kind of the here and now, what needs to be addressed right now, and really giving Adam space to be out working in the future. And those two things are really about to collide together. And I'm just excited to watch the fruit fall from the trees because we are this day and close to, to really big things around the corner. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Adam, do you want to take those and expand upon them a little bit or I'm just I will. Else? So Go ahead. personally, I think that it's more of a refinement. I, as I said, I think I've gotten 46 going on 47 this year. I think I've gotten a lot of the systems that I want to have in my life, or at least the sort of concepts that I want to continue to include so it's more about consistency and refinement. I'm really a huge believer in consistency. I think that consistency wins over time and just about anything that, that you want to accomplish. So for me, there's a focus on obviously being a great dad. There's a focus on coaching. There's a focus on fitness. There's a focus on getting outside and, and surfing and, and being in nature and, and going on hikes. 
There's a focus on meditation and yoga. So there's all of these different pieces, I think, from a personal side. And it's not any one that that trumps any of the others. I think it's more of a, a balanced approach to how can I just make sure that I'm maintaining my sense of clarity and, and my mental health. And I, I think that's different for everybody. From a professional side, I think this is the one that that gets me excited because we've been working on it so much. And this is the one that's new. So personal side, when you're just fine tuning the things you're doing, it's just the same thing every day. You're just trying to get a little bit better. It's that 1% that we've talked about a, a little bit. But on the professional side, sometimes you get to these chasms where all of a sudden you feel like, hey, I put this thing together where I can make this jump. And I, I feel like we're at a place where we might be turning a corner where we can make a jump. And the hard thing about uh, big changes or, or big improvements is a lot of times you don't really see them until all of a sudden it happens. So we've been telling our teams for a year plus since I, I got there back in, in November, hey, these things are coming. We're doing these things. Don't worry. Just have faith. Keep doing what you're doing. And it's been a year plus, probably going on 14 months of, of trying to help people believe in, in the plans that Scott and I are putting into place, but we're starting to, to execute on them. This past week, we launched a new website and a new PMS that took 14 plus months to, to actually get to a place where we could go live. It's live before the end of the year. I'm going to touch on a couple other partners as I go through this, but before I do that, I want to set the framework and this might take five, five minutes or so. So Conrad, feel free to poke holes in this as we get to it, or if you've got questions as you go through it, but I'm, I need to outline a little bit about what the, the business model is that we have. And I know we've touched on it, but just to recap, and then I'll start to plug in where I think this stuff is going. So we've got two different business models. We've got Delmar Beach Vacations which is a typical vacation rental company in Ocean City, starting from zero and going up to probably 50, 75. We're capping. We're trying to get a really curated inventory of homes with the right homeowners and the right people associated with it. Conrad is going to jump in as our partner and really focus on that. We're giving Conrad the case study approach. Put us, Plug us into your book and go through that and let's see what we can do from a ground up marketing approach. So that's Delmar. Then we've got Travel Advantage Network, which we refer to as TAN, T-A-N, Travel Advantage Network. That's the vacation rental club that's been around for 35 plus years with 80,000 plus guests. We've sent more than a million people on vacations over that time period. The website and, and the new PMS were the starting points of those changes. We needed to make those changes because we were on some legacy systems that needed to be updated for us to do some of the other things that we're now going to do. So typically in, in TAN up to this point, we've really only had two tiers. So we've got these 80,000 clients that pay to be a member. So it's a subscription-based vacation rental company. They pay to be a member of the club. As a return, they have access to our fulfillment of their vacation. Uh, uh, 1,200 properties, 75 locations, continuing to add new inventory. And we can touch on that side of things maybe in a different discussion, but they pay to be a part of this. So as a result, our revenue model is completely different. Up to this point, we've really only had two tiers. We've had a standard tier, we've had a VIP tier. We're in the process, and this touches on the PMS and I'll start layering in some partners. Our PMS comes from RCI, which is a timeshare company. It's called Viewpoint. We went with a... a RCI, a timeshare PMS, because Travel Advantage Network leans a little bit more in that timeshare area of things. We operate from a fulfillment side, like a vacation rental manager, but there's a component of that sort of club timeshare aspect to it. So Viewpoint fit with us very well. Now, what that does is it exposes us to RCI, this much larger club. As a result of that, we're, we got a partnership with Travel and Leisure, which is part of RCI, and we're going to open up a platinum tier to the club. So we've got standard, we've got VIP, we're now releasing a new platinum tier. 
and the, and probably in Q1, we're finalizing the agreements now with travel and leisure. This is going to create an entire travel hub. So for all of our clients that decide to get up to this new tier, they're going to have a full travel hub like you might think of with an Expedia or a booking.com. They're in this club and they're going to get discounts to hotels, cars, flights, um, camping, whatever else, whatever travel hub type of things we might want to include in there, we can now include in there and they're going to get access to all those discounts in addition to the inventory that they've already had and some of the benefits that they'll have. Now, part of this, we're going to then go out and create an OTA. So we're going to think about ourselves, think about Travel Advantage Network as a channel for our selected partners. Now, I'll just put a pin on that because I want to stress this. As I talk about the next stages of what we're going to do with this, it's going to be select partners. We're not trying to come out and change the industry. We're going to find the right partners in the right locations who have the right vision, and that's where we're going to go with this. So we're going to go to our partners and allow them to list discounted units to our closed user group. So we've got a closed user group of that those 80,000 clients. We're going to have an OTA that's plugged into our travel and leisure travel hub so that our partners can then list their properties inside uh, of this OTA to our clients. So from our perspective, our goal is to make sure that our, our guests, our clients are traveling and engaged. They see the value in the club. They're willing to pay their annual subscription. And this is just another added value. We want to, on our vacation rental partners, we want to give you guys an opportunity to have a new channel you wouldn't have access to. On our guest side, we want our guests to get discounts they wouldn't have access to without us being in the middle and, and being that club. Now, when we do this, when we take this to the next level, we've now built out uh, a travel hub. We built out an OTA that plugs into that travel hub. And it, the only way I'm building out that OTA is to figure out who the right partner is to have this OTA. Again, coming from the podcast, we've got Luca with Journey who is working with us to white label their OTA so that we can use their OTA. Part of that, we're going to white label their guest app. So we're going to have a guest app that we bring into this. Now, if we take that out just one step further, we've got to get this launched within our own organization so that our clients can move up a tier. We're going to use Alex, who I mentioned previously and was on the podcast, Alex Danner and his team in Branson will be our sales arm to do that upgrade because all we focus on is fulfillment. We're just about managing the properties, not on the sales side with our clients. So Alex and his team will do sales. Then if you take this out past Q1, what we want to do is go back to our, again, select partners and white label a travel club down to the vacation rental level. And this is really, so the big opportunity in inside of TAN to go up a tier, offer this platinum tier that is, is what we're calling it, is a big opportunity from a revenue perspective. There's a really great opportunity to give great experiences to these guests at a much wider breadth of travel opportunities. So that's one side of it. And we're excited about that. But the part that I think is the big jump in the industry, the chasm that I was talking about, was the concept of trying to bring this white label club down to vacation rental partners. And there's a number of values to this. The first one is reoccurring revenue. And we've talked touched on this. We've got to have additional revenue streams. There's zero reoccurring revenue in the vacation rental space today, other than the vendor side. And that's what the vendors have been chasing forever. That's where all the funding came from because everyone was chasing the reoccurring revenue. If we could bring reoccurring revenue into the property management side, we now change the revenue and profitability of these companies tremendously and the overall value. If anybody's going to look at companies and they see that you've got this reoccurring revenue, huge bump in value because they know that it's consistent and you're not working for it necessarily. So I think that what we can do is bring TAN, white label it for the vacation rental companies, right? So vacation rental club, whatever they want to call it, 
down to them so that they can then sell their client bases, their guests into a vacation rental club. Again, white label for them. So it seems like it's coming from the vacation rental company. And then within that, we'll have marketing built out because we will have already done this. Alex will probably be the first one to do it. So we have a proof of concept. We'll have the marketing plan already created for them, potentially templates already created for them. We'll have Alex and his team that are prepared to do the selling side of things. So if you think about choosing the right partners in the right locations, we can justify having pop-ups, for instance, in those locations where we can start doing in-person sales. In addition to that, plug in RCI because I mentioned them previously and they own travel and leisure. RCI can take inventory but they don't have the APIs to do it. They also don't have the relationships with the vacation rental managers. So if we go to the right locations in the areas that RCI needs inventory, we can now offer a second OTA or second channel that, that is exclusive to us that goes directly into RCI inventory that other people would not have available. Also wanna add in Lassie, another company that we had on the podcast. So we can layer in Lassie from a loyalty perspective, TAN from a reoccurring revenue perspective, TAN from a new channel perspective, RCI from a new channel perspective, have all of the marketing templated and built out, have the sales ready to go. So that in essence, what these partners that end up joining us on this journey will have a loyalty, reoccurring revenue out of the box that they in essence don't have to do much with other than plug into their company, give us exposure to their guests so that we can then market and sell to them. And then the benefit for us is that on the backside, we're loading all of these new members into TAN and have new clients and have the potential to, to upsell over time. So I know there's a lot of detail there. I'll, I'll pause. Uh, and Conrad, you can pick holes in it where you see. Yeah, no, I, I think there is a lot of details there. I might need to sit back and listen to that segment again to write a flowchart and figure out where it all comes from. But I think ultimately what you're talking about is having a solution to maybe the, it's not necessarily the vacation rental's number one problem, but it's the thing they need to work on that they don't know they need to work on. So maybe as we go along here and we do future episodes in 24, we can explain, here's another revenue stream for you. I love that simple line that Alex had during his show non-rental revenue. Maybe that's something we start to ask property managers about. Hey, what's your non-rental revenue? What do you, We can sit here and debate 17% commissions, 20% commissions, whatever. Let's put that aside for the second. What do you do outside of that? How do you deliver unreasonable hospitality? And how does that turn into revenue for you and your business? How What's your non-rental revenue look like? And maybe we can start that dialogue and then it naturally plugs into everything you just broke down where it's what if you offered XYZ? Here's an example of something you could offer. And it could be your solution, but it could be other solutions too. So that's the way I think about it. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I love it. I think non-rental revenue is one that I took from Alex as well. And that's one we should be talking more about for sure. And then I also obviously didn't mention unreasonable hospitality there, but that's that sort of core and foundation of everything we're talking about is trying to figure out how do we layer that in as well. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I think we got a little over time, but it was good because then we can let Adam kind of flesh everything out. So anything else you gentlemen want to say, or can we put a bow on this one and put a bow on 2023? That's it. That's all she wrote. It's over. Yeah. Conrad, I'm incredibly appreciative and I've reached out to you a couple of times. You coming into to my journey has been incredible, right? Adam, I knew for a long time and Adam and I were always looking for the day to work together, but it has been a real pleasure working with you and, and I'm excited about everything that we're going to do in 2024. So just a lot of gratitude for you and, and your team, Conrad. Yeah, no, me too. I appreciate it. This is fun. Doing this is fun. Working with you guys is fun. And it's so funny. I feel like a simple thing for me to think about professionally going forward is I like when I open my calendar for the day and it's full. It's pretty much always full. My calendar is rarely empty. You guys know that when you try to ask for a random meeting, but it's, I, I like the days where I look forward to all of them. So even when I got six or seven on there, 
I like the days where I look forward to all of them. I feel like that's such a simple professional goal for me to have next year is that if I feel like I don't want to sit there and talk to this person once a week from now until they put me in a pine box or something, maybe that's extreme. If I, I feel like I don't want to sit there and talk to this person once a week for the next, let's say five years, then I don't want to work with them at all. I think that's an evolve thing. If you don't work with them for a day, then don't work with them at all. If you want to work with them for a lifetime, excuse, excuse me, don't work with them for a, a day. So that's my way of thinking of things going forward. And these calls are ones that I definitely look forward to for sure. So I, I like that perspective. I, I always try to, and I talk about it with the kids, find one thing that you can be excited about for the day. If you have one thing to look forward to, then you're going to have a pretty good day. So I agree. I'm always excited to get on these each Tuesday. And I'm surprised by how great they've turned out and how much it's steered our direction. So thanks to, to you guys and everyone who's listened. Phenomenal. Well, if you made it this far, you must have liked the episode. You would have listened through all of our last little bits for us recapping everything if you don't like what we're doing here at the Art of Hospitality. So you can give us a Christmas gift. You didn't buy us anything, and that's okay. We didn't need anything. No worries about that. But all you got to do is go to your podcast app of choice, leave five stars, cost you nothing. Um, it doesn't actually go under our tree, but it goes into our mind as being under the tree. And we appreciate it. So thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. And we'll catch you next year on the Art of Hospitality podcast. Thanks so much.